So, Jenny and I have been married for a little over three years now, and I am continually amazed at how very different we are. We're different in, in many ways. So, for example, our food choices. She would rather eat at Panera, and I would rather eat at Provetti's. She would rather watch HGTV and TLC, and I would rather watch Sports Center and college football on a Saturday afternoon. It also affects her shopping choices. She would love to spend a couple hours on Saturday afternoon at Bed Bath & Beyond, and I would rather spend two hours doing just about anything else. <laughs> Maybe Best Buy. I remember one time we, we spent a couple hours on a Saturday afternoon at Best or excuse me, at Bed Bath & Beyond. And it was to register for a wedding gift. So we were engaged, and for all the guys that have no idea what I'm talking about, you get these two little, you know, scanny gun things, and you walk around the store, and you scan the, uh, you know, items that you want from Bed Bath & Beyond. And it's great, because your wedding guests then will see a list of what you desire, and they'll, you know, purchase gifts for you. And of course, for a bride bride-to-be, this is like amazing. I mean, this is awesome, right? So she, she felt like she was, you know, it was her birthday or something. She's running around and she's scanning all sorts of stuff and she's pointing stuff for me and I'm like, oh, you know, great, I'm happy for you. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, in order for me to survive this afternoon, I need to resort to different tactic. I, I needed to resort to the tactic of being obnoxious. So um, I got my, my little gun and I started scanning random things, like, you know, the, the steel pole in the corner, you know. Yeah, I think we need one of these in our family room. And, you know, I, I saw the manager's clipboard and I was like, you know, I think we need one of these. And so she's, of course, rolling her eyes and chuckling a little bit, but she wants me to, to take this time seriously, which, of course, I wasn't doing. And, you know, as during this time, we were, we were interacting like this and there was this woman who was staring at me. And she had a card, and she was just kind of looking over at me like this. And she had a blank look on her face. I looked up at her, and it was kind of one of those awkward moments. I'm not really sure what she's thinking. She looks at me, and she says, You're just like my husband. And I just off. the card. Yikes. I don't know what was going on there, but she, she clearly clearly had something going on. Now, it's interesting. My choice that afternoon to be obnoxious seems like an inconsequential, mundane choice, but my choice to be obnoxious a little bit certainly helped me to survive that afternoon. It made my wife laugh a little bit. But it also impacted this woman. Because if you could have seen her face when she said those words to me, you would have seen pain you would have seen frustration. You see, there was a story that was behind what was going on that connected to that face and those words. And it was real and it was painful. Our choices matter. Even the most inconsequential, mundane, seemingly unimportant choices, they matter. They impact not only ourselves, but they impact people around us. People that maybe we don't even know, like this woman. In 2005, in the, in the month of June, Steve Jobs, who is the co-founder and CEO 
of Apple computers. He gave the commencement address at Stanford University. Now, a year before this, he had recently learned that he was uh, he had terminal cancer. He had pancreatic cancer. And so here he was giving this address. Now, I think many of you probably know that four days ago, Steve Jobs fortunately passed away. So here are some of his words from that address in 2005. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. Death is life's change agent. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Now, I don't know what choices, what these choices were for Steve Jobs as he came to know uh, that he had cancer. I don't know how the reality of death looming in his life impacted his marriage or his family or his decisions at his workplace. I don't know how it impacted his relationship with God, his status before our God. But I do know, I do know that the reality of death for Steve Jobs made his choices on earth feel weighty and urgent. So death for Steve Jobs became a perspective-aligning tool. This morning we're going to look at a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30. You can turn there. It's page 201 in your pew Bibles. We're going to look at a passage in Deuteronomy that I hope will realign our perspective. I hope that it will remind us this morning that life and death are very real. And our choices have consequences. And the most significant choice that we can make, a choice actually that we make every day, is whether to walk with this God or not. So let's read this passage. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse 11. It's page 201 in your pew Bible. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, 
so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would do a work in our hearts, Lord. We need to hear from you. We need a word from you. So speak. Father, I pray that you would realign our perspective. That you would teach us this morning that our choices have consequences. Lord, help us today to recommit again to you. And I pray for all of those in this room this morning, Lord, who may not know you, who who are confused about you, who are seeking you. Lord, I pray that you would touch their hearts. I pray that you would work in them in such a way where they see Jesus clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for 28 chapters in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses deals with the what of the covenant. The what of the covenant. So, you know, what exactly does it look like to live with this God? What does this relationship look like? So there's laws, there's stipulations, there's all sorts of descriptions of this this covenant. This covenant relationship. But here in our passage, here in chapter 30, Moses transitions and he's now dealing with the why. Why should Israel follow this God? Why should Israel commit to this covenant? He's trying to entice the Israelites. He's trying to show them the graveness and the urgency of their decision. To follow God or not to follow God. Now Israel, as we know, is transitioning into a new season. They're transitioning to this promised land. And so, again, for 28 chapters, Moses is essentially preparing them for this transition. He wants to help them to walk with God as they enter this promised land. Now, this relates to us as well. We are transitioning into a new land, but we have transitioned, and we are continuing to transition into this facility and really a new season of this church's life. And so, this passage is very relevant for us. Why should we, as a church, as individuals, as family units, why should we choose life with God? Why should this church continue to worship Jesus, to make disciples of Jesus? Why should we choose to be in this covenant relationship with God for another 60 years and beyond? As I look at this text, I see three reasons. Moses gives the people of Israel three reasons. Why? Why should you do this? He gives them three reasons. And these reasons, of course, are relevant for us as well. The first reason is that God's word is near. God's word is near. Look at the first paragraph, verses 11 through 14. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near. 
It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey. God's word, Moses says here, it's, it's not too difficult to understand. It's accessible. It's attainable. He uses these two pictures. It's not higher than the heavens. You don't have to ascend to some high point to get God's word. It's not too lofty for us. It's not far away. You also don't have to cross the sea. Now, in ancient Near Eastern culture, the sea represented something that was evil, dangerous, treacherous. In fact, it even represented at some times Hades and hell. And so Moses here is saying, listen, you don't have to, to make this treacherous journey to get God's word. No, it's near. It's attainable. It's accessible. It's clear. You know, we don't have to guess with God. We don't have to guess with God. We don't have to play games, do certain rituals to have God speak to us. He took the initiative to speak to us. Think about the diversity of the Bible for a minute with me. The Bible was written over 1,600 years in three continents. Forty different personalities authored this book. Sixty-six books in this Bible written in three languages. The Bible has different cultures, different political situations. It is extraordinarily diverse. And yet, somehow, God speaks with one unified voice through this extraordinary diversity. And that means the Bible is a miracle. The Bible itself is a miracle. We have lots of these little miracles in our homes. We have hundreds of these miracles in our pews right now. Some of you are holding them. You know, some of us take these miracles for granted. We, you know, they collect dust on our bookshelves. Some of us use them as doorstops or coasters. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I was more excited about the cool Bible cover that I had than the actual word of God inside. I used to love those thematic Bibles. You know, the athlete, teen, pet lover's Bible? You know, it's got a picture of a dog and like an iPod and then, you know, uh, I don't know, a football or something. And I would be so interested in, in the theme or the cover or something, I, I wouldn't get into the actual word. You know, one of God's awesome, glorious acts, one of his first acts of love and accommodation and humility towards his people, towards us, is that he has spoken to us. And it is accessible, it is clear, it is attainable. And not only has he spoken, but he has preserved it in a book. It's in a book. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to give us his word. He didn't have to preserve it. But he has. I wonder whether we are in awe of this miraculous book that contains God's glorious speech to us. In the late 1960s, there's a tribe in Indonesia, a Kenyal tribe, and uh, some missionaries uh, launched to, to Indonesia, and they, they shared their lives, they shared the gospel with this tribe and the neighboring tribe. And, uh, you know, the, the, the initial missionary couple, they were unfortunately martyred, but missionaries kept going back and back and back and delivering a, developing a relationship with this people. 
And over time, God moved through his gospel and transformed these people. The Christians came out of this tribe. It was a beautiful thing. And over time, this tribe, um, the missionaries put together written form of their language. And then they translated the New Testament for them. And then there's this beautiful video. It's actually on my Facebook account. So if you're my Facebook friend, you can go there this afternoon and look at it. But there's this beautiful 10-minute video of this plane that lands kind of in this field. These missionaries get out. This tribe, the Kidneyal tribe, welcomes them. And what they are welcoming is the New Testament. So these missionaries give the New Testament to the chief and the pastor of this tribe. And it is a great celebration. People are singing and dancing. People are rejoicing because God's word has finally come in written form to them. It was amazing. I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. That kind of celebration, that kind of awe that this people felt for a book. Because God's word is not a static textbook. It is dynamic. It speaks, it acts, it transforms, it does something. And these people had experienced that. And now they were celebrating the fact that they had it in their possession. Praise God. So the first reason that Moses gives these people, Israelites, the first reason he gives them to choose this life with God, to be in covenant with this God, is that he has spoken. God has spoken. He has graciously, lovingly spoken to us. He didn't have to, but he did. The second reason, starting in verse 15, going to verse 18, the second reason is that obedience brings life and disobedience brings death. Verse 15 says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing with Jordan to enter and possess. See, I have set before you today life and death. And then later in verse 19, Moses says, Now choose life. So for 28 chapters, again, Moses has set before this people life and death. There are two ways to live. Well, let's review a little bit of Deuteronomy. The first four chapters, Moses gives the people of Israel kind of an extended history of how God has been faithful to his people. God has been faithful. He has delivered you. He has saved you. He has brought you out of, out of bondage People, uh, to the people uh, in Egypt. He has saved you, he has delivered you, and now he's saying, be my people. And so Moses then describes this covenant. Chapters 5 through 26, it's kind of the description, again, of this covenant relationship. And there's all sorts of rules, regulations, and laws, but essentially Moses is saying, or God is saying through Moses, this is how I want you to live for me. This is how I want you to be my people. And then chapters 27 and 28 talk about the blessings and the curses. 
remember Pastor Jeremy's sermon a few weeks ago on the blessings and curses. So here Moses says, okay, if you obey God, if you live this covenant, God will bless you. But if you don't, God will curse you. There's destruction in this life and in the next. And then finally we come to this chapter and these verses where Moses gives kind of a final exhortation to follow covenant. The whole book kind of crescendos to this point. Moses kind of summarizes everything he's been saying. He pulls it together and then he pleads with Israel. Now is the moment, Israel. Now is the moment for you to make a decision. To declare your allegiance and commitment to God and his covenant. So again, Moses is essentially telling Israel, listen, you have got two ways to live. See, the life with God and life for God, which where, where you will receive blessing in this life and in the, in the life to come. Or life apart from God, life for yourself, where you will receive curse in this life and in the life to come. That's it. It's very clear. It's very black and white. Sometimes it's hard for us to hear, especially in today's culture. But that's what Moses has. Now let's just for a few minutes take a closer look at how Moses summarizes this covenant. You know, what, what, what are we to understand about this life that's being offered by God? Look at verse 16. The first thing we notice is that love is the basis of this covenant. Love the Lord your God. It's echoed again in verse 20. Love is the basis of this relationship. But Moses says more. He says, walk in his ways, keep his commands, decrees, and laws. So what God is requiring is a whole life of obedience. The covenant is a whole way of life. It's a daily commitment. It's not just a one-time commitment that you may have made at a retreat or at a camp or at church. It's a daily commitment to walk with God. It's also interesting, it's not a vague relationship that has been described through Deuteronomy. It's a clearly defined and expressed relationship. It's expressed through these laws and stipulations. But it's clear. God has clearly shown Israel, and he's clearly shown us today as the New Testament church, how to live for him, who to be as his people. Now these rules that we have before us Keep his commands, his decrees, his laws. These, these laws, they are not arbitrary. So many times uh, Christians, I think, get accused of having random rules that make no sense. They kind of confine us and, and make us live in a very narrow way. And yet that's not what's going on here in Scripture at all. No, these rules show us how to truly live. These rules help us to know how to thrive as humans. They don't hold us back. They actually show us how to thrive. And we have to trust that these rules aren't to keep us from being who we're supposed to be. They're actually function to release us and free us to be fully human. Of course, of course according to how God desires. As I think about this choice that Moses brings before the people, I think about kind of the preparations for a wedding. You know, the guy gets down on his knee, he proposes to a young woman, and then they embark on this six months, eight, uh, one year, sometimes this engagement period where they um, you know, prepare for, for the wedding days. It's really complicated. The 
Thankfully, the woman takes care of most of the details of the wedding. But it's much more than just preparing for the wedding day. A couple ought to be preparing for the marriage covenant. So something that helps helps couples usually do that is marriage counseling. Maybe the pastor will give some counseling to this young couple. I want to help them to understand what is this marriage covenant all about? What does it entail? What does God require of me as a husband or me as a wife? Then the day finally comes. The wedding day comes. And and the husband and the wife, they, they say yes to this marriage covenant. Before God, before people. And that's when it's official. You know, I think the first 28 chapters or so, Moses is kind of preparing people of Israel for, for the wedding. But now the wedding day has finally come. Now is the time for the people of God to say yes or to say no. It's interesting, we make a choice at the wedding to be a part of this marriage covenant. But that choice is something that we make every day into our marriage as well. And the same goes for the people of Israel. This day they were called to choose God. But every day after this, they were called to choose God as well. Every day we choose life with God or life without God. Now, it may not feel that way, but it's true. Our words and actions either move us towards a deeper fellowship, a deeper communion with God, a deeper awareness of His presence, or they move us away from those things. Our decisions either cause us Uh, cause our hunger and our affection for God to grow or they cause our hunger and affection for God to dwindle and perhaps die. There's two ways to live. In our marriages, in our families, at our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, at our vacation spots, our daily choices either move us towards God or away from God. There's only two ways to live. This is the second reason. Obedience brings life. Disobedience brings death. The third reason, verse 19. Obedience brings life to the next generation. We can say it another way. Disobedience brings death to the next generation. Look at verse 19 with me. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live. Their decision for or against this covenant with God would impact the next generation of Israelites. Their choices would impact their children and all of those other younger people around them, the next generation. Now, this is a common concern in the Old and New Testaments. Throughout both Testaments, we see that God consistently is concerned not just for the present generation, but for future generations. In the book of, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, Moses is explaining, beginning to explain this covenant relationship that God wants Israel to be in. And then God says through Moses, teach your children. Pass this on to your children. Here in in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see that we are called to choose life 
Israel is called to choose life, and it impacts their children. We fast forward several hundred years, and we go to Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2. He proclaims Jesus Christ. He calls people to repent of their sins and to have faith in Christ. And then he says, this good news is not just for you, but it's for your children. Our choices impact our children. Our choices impact those younger around us. There's a family in Michigan, the Herwalk clan. It's a great family. I've gotten to know them for years. And Grandpa and Grandma Herwalt had, uh, I think, about six children in the 40s and 50s. Godly people. They loved Jesus. And their five or six children also married uh, godly spouses. And they had several children. I think each couple had four to six children. It's just a huge family. And, and three of those grandchildren I know very well. One is one of my best friends. He lives in Albany. His name's Scott. And this family, this, this Kerwald clan, loves the Lord. To my knowledge, every single person in this family loves Jesus. It's a godly heritage that is there. And I've had the privilege of joining them for a Thanksgiving meal or, you know, just hanging out with them at different family activities. And I just noticed just a joy and a humility and a love for Jesus. It is unique. And I remember talking to Scott one day and I asked him, Scott, what is it about your family? What is it about your family that makes it so joyful and so in love with the Lord? What happened? And his answer was very interesting. He said, I don't, I don't really know. But I, I do know that Grandpa Herwalt, every morning, every morning, four o'clock, he would wake up and he would pray for each of his children and their spouses by name. And then he would pray for each of his grandchildren and each of their spouses by name. Four a.m. every day, this man prayed for his family. Obedience brings life to the next generation. Disobedience brings death to the next generation. We are called to pass on not only the content of the gospel, not only the good news that Jesus Christ has come to live, to die, was raised after three days, to reconcile sinners to God. We are called to pass on our example, our obedience to the next generation, so that they too might, by God's grace, choose life with God. Our obedience as individuals, as family units, as a church, means something for this generation, certainly, but it also means something for future generations. And I wonder this morning, are you choosing life every day with God so that your children and the next generation might someday choose to follow Jesus as well. But let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves. We cannot keep this covenant. We cannot keep this covenant. We can't keep it for ourselves, and we certainly can't keep it for the next generation. Because our default setting, my default setting, is not I choose God, it's I choose me. I, it might be easy to understand that the word is near, 
It might be easy to be in awe of the Kim Yong tribe as we watch the video and see the joy and the tears and the celebration and, and desire that. But let's be honest. It's hard to obey. It might be easy to know that we are called to obedience. It might be easy to know that obedience leads to life and disobedience leads to death, spiritual life, spiritual death. But we still find ourselves in the path of sin and destruction. We still do our own thing. It might be easy to recognize that, yes, our examples, our, our obedience to God, it impacts the next generation. But, even this is not enough motivation to keep, keep ourselves in God's ways. It might be easy even to temporarily modify our outward behavior. But we don't have the ability to change our own hearts. We don't have the ability to change the inclinations of our heart. The Bible says that we are inclined towards one thing, and that's sin. So should we expect then, should Israel expect then, only death and only destruction and only damnation? Well, thankfully, the answer to that question is no, because of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul helps us to answer that question with a resounding no in Romans chapter 10. We're not going to turn there because of time. But Romans chapter 10 is an important passage because it quotes the section that we have looked at. And I just want to pull two things that Paul says in Romans 10. Because what Paul does in Romans 10 is he shows us how Christ fulfills the Deuteronomy 30. First thing that Paul says is that Christ is the word that came near. Christ is the word that came near. Jesus is the culmination of God's nearness through his word. In other words, God didn't just come near through the Old Testament and the New Testament. He came near especially in the person of Jesus. If you want to know God, look to Jesus. He perfectly displays the Father to us. And so this is what the Gospel of it is. It proclaims that God has done what no human can do. God has sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life on our behalf. To die a brutal death for sinners. And then he was raised after three days so that Christians can have new life. Paul also says something else in Romans chapter 10. Verse 4, he says that Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law. Now, it doesn't mean that Christ ends the law as if somehow obedience is not required, it's not expected. But it says that Christ is the end of the law. In other words, we don't have to keep the law perfectly to be right with God. And that's a good thing because we can't keep it perfectly. Jesus has kept it perfectly for us. Jesus has met the requirements of covenant life for us. So that we don't have to. This is the gospel that God acted first on our behalf through Jesus because we were helpless. And so today... We can choose God only because He first chose us. And we love God only because He first loved us. And we can forgive others, we can serve others, we can give grace to others only because He first served us, gave us grace, 
and forgave our sins. I wonder whether there are some here today who don't know Jesus. If that's you, I, I just want to urge you this morning to consider Jesus Christ, to consider this man, consider this God. I want you to consider his great sacrifice for sinners. I want you to consider your own helplessness, your own sin, your own inability to do this the right way, to do life the right way. And it's okay to be there. It's okay to be in that helpless spot. That's exactly where you need to be in order to see Jesus clearly. Throw yourself on the mercy of God today. Don't wait. Choose life with God through Jesus this morning. So the choice for this church, for every individual in this room, for every family unit, is ours again. Today and every day. Today we are called to keep God's laws. To obey Him, to love Him, to walk in His ways, to be in this covenant relationship with Him. We are called to obey for the sake of the next generation as well. But the good news is that now we have the ability, by God's grace and through His Spirit, to actually choose God. To actually live this life that He has called us to live. And it's because Jesus came to live and to die and uh, was raised on the third day for us. So the power of sin has been broken. We can step out of the shackles that we once lived in. Now we are, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. We have a new position in Christ. We are new creations. We have new life in Him. So every day, every moment, every hour, because of Christ, because of Christ, we can choose God. For ourselves and indeed for the next generation. Let's pray. Father.